Hey there, oral arguers. I know we said last week that it would be a couple of weeks before we got back to you because of the time of the semester and and things going on, but I've got a little bonus episode for you. So for the past semester, I've been teaching a class on legal theory, and as a part of that, it's been an online class, I've been making some recordings for the students, and most of these are more heavily produced than what you're used to on, on our program. And they're shorter, and they cover a particular reading, and I kind of outlined the reading for the students. This one, though, was a little different because we talked about an article by Duncan Kennedy and an article that I wrote, and you'll hear why in a moment. And yeah, I didn't want to basically have a podcast where I was talking about my own piece by myself. Weird, right? So I got Joe to come over, and we did kind of an oral argument style discussion of these two pieces. Now, it's a little bit different than our usual program because we don't do a lot of setting up. You may get a good bit from this, even if you haven't read these two articles. I'm putting the links in the show notes so you can see it's Duncan Kennedy's Stages of Decline of the Public-Private Distinction and my piece, Origins of the Public-Private Theory of Legal Systems. I'll put links down there. You might want to skim them or take a look, but you might get something out of this even if you haven't read those. I guess that's a little bit of caveat mTOR. We thought, well, maybe some people would enjoy this. It's a short one. It's a little bit of a bonus. Anyway. Hope you like. So you know what? For this class, I've been doing recordings on my own. I've been listening to them. Um, I've been enjoying I, them a lot. I can't imagine. But the last one was very... The last one about... Uh, hey, Darcy. The last one about... Uh, about... Uh, Robin West's piece right. and then uh, Professor Nussbaum's uh, response to that piece. That was good listening. We had a good time talking about it. That was really in, good. In class. Um, I bet. Boy, what, what a staggeringly interesting, Ugh. provocative piece, right? Ugh. Yeah. And like your piece today, uh, and like all good, really good presentations of really powerful ideas, oh, it boy. involved a two-by-two two box. <laughs> several. You've got, several. You've got students in Malt. Who have had me for some classes, uh-huh. and they all just laughed quite a lot when I said what I just said—the two by two boxes, because I use them all the time. Mm-hmm. That, it's really help. It really helps me think to the degree that I manage to think anything useful at all. A two by two box has probably been involved somewhere along the way. Yeah, because it, it helps is, me tremendously. Right, because because it, you know, our brains. We think in narrative linearly. Did I say that right? Linearly? We do. Right. And so a complex phenomenon where there's some coupling between events. And you gotta get that other dimension. You in have there, to right? You gotta get it, off right? the line and into the, into the plane. Second you gotta dimension. Create yeah. that other dimension. And you know this article, the one that that uh, I put in the in the book, there's really a third dimension. There's the Calabresi Melamed dimension, which is a consequence of the theory. So sometimes you got to get off of the plane and you got to get into true enough into, into but space. But if you're if you're down on that line, I mean, you 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 are really you're nowhere. You're making it much harder for yourself, yeah, to sort of figure out how these things interrelate, right? And I think in a way, the the Kennedy piece is he he's a bit stuck on the line, hmm. um, and uh, even though he loops it back on itself. Yeah, well, a circle is still a line. Um, it's true. It's not, you don't have that right angle. You're just sort of walking along. And I love mm-hmm. the loopification figure. I think it's a real hoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and definitely that, that also gives you a, a lot of insights, continuumizing something and then the, the loopification idea. Very, very fun and interesting stuff. 
Um, but but I do think if he if he had kind of snapped a right angle on there, um, <laughs> he, it, it could it really could have made it even that much more interesting. Well, you know, that's one of my criticisms of uh, of the basically the um, derogation of the uh, of the public private distinction that it's so easy to criticize because it has various senses and you can always point out it's in, in incoherency by just right. saying, Hey, it means this sometimes and that right. other times, but the, but the re there's a reason for that. Correct. Right? So yeah. the, so when you say the incoherency, it's like, ah, maybe what you need is a, is a right angle there. Yeah. Sir. Right. And right. so let's, if maybe if you do that, it's suddenly, right. it's a much less incoherent. Well, now I, maybe it's, a, it's got a bit more internal structure and order to it. Yeah. Well, I had you on, um, because we're talking, you know, because I've, included a piece that i wrote in the in, in the textbook yeah and i've done that not because i think it makes a contribution on the scale of some of the other things i put in the textbook not that at all but we're, we're about to start talking about the students own pieces mm -hmm. and so i thought my sharing something that i wrote would be a nice bridge to that in addition to the fact that it reflects on this particular piece reflects on a lot of the things that we've studied this year and kind of integrates them and is another yeah. reminder of uh, of how they work and it shows a the, especially the way that you're you're relating you know you're, you're relating uh Holmes and Hofeld into Hart and and sort of showing some real continuities there yeah uh I think that's really helpful for for in the context of a class where you're talking about these very major these major pieces um and and you've got the cover yeah. in there and it which is sort of coming at it from this completely different yeah, I feel, view, I feel but... like I should have written the seventy-page article about how Hofeld implies heart. Like I, I feel like I buried the lead. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like I want to I... thank you for that. I want to thank you for it sparing the world. It could have published, though. No, oh, it would have been great. Would have been, would have been, you know, would have would have placed real well. So and, let's let's start. And, and you could have done a lot of expedite requests on that, and really sort of amped up the immorality of it in that way. And oh, it would have been fantastic. <laughs> let's um let's let's start with Duncan Kennedy. Okay, and. One of the, the the dunker, as I like to call him, <laughs> the dunkster. One of the reasons that um, I really like this piece, what, you know, one reason is because it focuses on the public-private distinction. I think right. that's super interesting, and and I think he fo focused maybe on exactly the wrong distinction to make this point. But what's super interesting about it is that which it, one would have been better? Do you think? Well, I think maybe the rule standard dichotomy. Sure. Um, I can think of a lot of others which are clearly. Uh, a lot of other concepts thing, which are clearly on a spectrum, not uh, because uh, – well, go ahead. Yeah. The rule standards thing, the, the Carol Rose has this amazing piece in, in, inflected through property law. Crystals and mud. Crystals and mud. And, yeah. and that I think is the sort of rule standards. It's more of a ping pong and less of a loop maybe. Right. Um, but so I don't know whether it would have worked as well with some of the other some of the For the loopification part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, – well, well, what he's trying – let's just talk about what he's trying to do. Okay. Because one of the reasons for assigning this piece is it's a nice, crisp statement of the kind of attack on law as it's ordinarily practiced that the, that the crits have been making. Yeah. Right? That, you know, for the student, especially for the beginning student, there's a hunger for the distinctions that will drive the result. Sure. Right? I mean, that that's what law is. I need to know – you know, what right. this black letter principle is so that I know that if I find property X, I mean, by property X, I just mean finding, you know, fact X. Right. Then this will happen. And if I don't find it, then this other thing will happen. Yep. And I need to assemble a list of these things, a list of these distinctions which are important. And you do outline. need to learn. I mean, I think that in, to, that is a that is a correct intuition on the part of a young law student that they mm -hmm. know there's a there's a journey they have to go through. 
that is about mastering some of these distinctions, right? right? What, 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 of course, it's hard for them to understand and what it would be in a way sad to insist that they understand at the outset would be, in essence, we want you to go through that journey so you reach the point of what he, I think, jokingly, a little bit jokingly, refers to as a sense of ennui, right? <laughs> you, you, get, you get very good at this. If, right. you're, if you're studying well and working hard, you get very good at it. Right. And it, it engenders a kind of, uh, you feel like you're just going through the motions and it can become a little boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means you're probably doing it quite well at a certain level of technical competence, right? That lawyering is about understanding these uh, dualities, these antinomies, and and sort of working both sides of them depending on what you need to do. Uh, Of course, that's not the only... That's not the only thing you need to do, and it's and it's uh, and of course you want to find ways to do things that are not um, boredom inducing or ennui inducing. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think that is part of 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 mastery. Yeah, and and really, what you're doing when you master those distinctions, partly you're learning some laws, so maybe you can answer some questions as they now exist, right? So right. you know, is this illegal or is that illegal? You know, yeah. is this negligence or is it not negligence? And you can actually master right now answers to some specific questions yeah. about that now. That and then mastery. patterns that you can then use to answer other questions that haven't even come up yet. Right. So that well, you can be that, thinking creatively about, about the ways of, of considering a, a new topic. Because that, that specific mastery is kind of has a shelf life right. because law changes, right? And so sure. if, you, if all you learned were answers to those questions, it wouldn't do you much good. And so really what you're learning is how to identify distinctions and how to argue on various sides of those distinctions, right? And to see where they're going, right? To yeah. understand that if I if I push hard on this side of a distinction, I can count on the other party to push hard in a very particular way. Mm. Uh, and that I need to get out in front of the game in that sense. I need to think through the the various moves and counter moves because they 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 tend to each one intends to induce its opponent. Mm. Um, it, at least that's been my experience. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think I think if you the like more you pu- of them you, you push for a rule like formulation, the other person is going to make all the standard critiques of rules. Right. Uh, and we'll. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that sort of thing. You bear be down concrete. on the ex ante stuff. They're going to be bearing down on the ex post fairness stuff or vice right. versa. Right. And so you just do you, you need to be able to think in this way. Right. I think. No, I, I, th- to I be think really that's good right. At it. It's <laughs> the, the, the the critical approach, though, is to. The critique is that these distinctions take on too much reality, right? It's not quite the same critique from the realists themselves about how these are, you know, um, metaphysical nonsense, um, um, transcendental nonsense, metaphysical, but you know what I mean, right? Right. Uh, It is instead that people take these things as settled, right? We think that what law is, is the identification of important distinction and a choice about how that distinction will translate into resolution in a case, right? And so... Are we going to use a rule or standard to measure whether or not someone who injures somebody should compensate a victim? And we've settled on negligence, right? And ne- so we've settled on a standard-like thing to do that. And the, the claim of the crit is that identifying distinctions and then, and then resolving them on one side or the other never really settles anything. So that law is never really settled. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it, it, at least through the language of law itself, it is settled by raw power. And it's a criticism... To the degree that you believed things had been settled, right, rather than that you were engaged in a a a, a perpetual working out and working through of reckoning with today as today, right. Mm-hmm. If that's what you thought law was, that's not much of a critique, 
Right. It's just an announcement about, yeah, you're right. That is what it's like. We're perpetually going to be working through this stuff. And the the balance of forces, the play of forces is going to manifest in different ways. You can't settle it. It's not a settleable thing. Yeah. Right. It's a working through process. Well, then it's not much of a critique. If you if you believe the stages, right. If you believe that it was you were sort of carving something in stone and you were finally going to get it right. Well, no, that's I I think that. Yeah. Then it's then it's quite a devastating. Well, the stages show that someone who's attached to the first stage. We have a distinction. We know what the law is. Right. The distinction is that if you. Oh, I don't know. What's an example? Um, um, a, A physical invasion of your property is compensable by the government. Right. So all, if we find a physical invasion, we're in that category of compensation. If it's a not a physical invasion, then no compensation. And pretty soon, you know, you get a case which is an in-between case. So he kind of goes through these stages of how the strong distinction becomes a weak distinction, becomes a spectrum. Right. And then right. and, and once it's a spectrum, then people start to re- rehearse stereotypical arguments about where you come out on this. And that's what the lawyer does. Right. Is, is to say, OK, I'm arguing this side of it. We know exactly what you're going to argue. Like right. if, if you are kind of smart enough to see the whole game and you have enough experience to see the whole game, then it's no mystery to you how the sides are going to argue the cases. And then the point and then the question is, if it's no mystery to you how they're going to be argued, what is the point? Right. Mm. That That's the that's the right. that's the point at which the crits have been accused of nihilism. Right. That there is yeah. there really is no law. It's not just that that law doesn't settle anything in advance. It's that there is no such thing as law. There is just this power. And you can get to the end of the Kennedy piece and you can be, you know, you can be sort of marveling at the the very apt way he has pulled a lot of things together. Yeah. Um, here's a person who, who clearly is highly adept mm-hmm. at this series of things that he's talking about, right? Um, and... Uh, the last paragraph where he's talking about the history of the demise of liberal legalism. Yeah. Um, you might finish it and then think to yourself, so, so I'm just, I'm going to spend the next 20 years of my career at a funeral. (laughs) I mean, not, wait a minute. That's not, I'm not, I didn't sign up for that. Right. Right. That that this sort of, uh, the, the fact that there isn't, something there like what's next right where's i want to see the phoenix rise from these ashes i don't just want to sit here and look at ashes yeah i don't think i quite delivered a phoenix maybe mine is more like a <laughs> a coal covered canary i don't know what it would be but um but you know what i mean i know exactly what the, you mean what you say it? nihilism you can feel like it's sort of like what's the um what what is it is there something more than that? Because this, the, the critique seems very well taken, right? It seems yeah. like, wow, he's describing stuff I can really see. Uh, and there's a sense in which contemporary legal education has come to recapitulate the things in this piece. Right. Right. Now that we're 34 years down the road, you and I went to law school in an, at a time when this was maybe only 12 or, or 13 years old, in my case. Yeah. A little more in your case. What, my most influential professor probably is Mark Kelman. One of the crit. people. Yeah, who, one of the right. – yeah. And so, we, we, so we're, we're now living in the legal educational environment that Duncan Kennedy and people like him helped create. So the what, the, what we teach and how we go through the things we go through are, are very much affected by this set of insights. Um, but – Hmm, is that it? I mean, are you going to leave me st- sort of stranded out here? Or is there some affirmative thing that isn't just the claim? Well, then I guess it's just power. Well, that's so that's that's was, is kind of my starting point. I, I think that, you know, I agree that that law is almost always dripping in politics. 
right? It, that it even, even once a law is passed, whatever that means, or a decision is made and becomes precedent, the next case, the, the point of application of that new thing, even if it is apparently rule-like, is inextricable from a certain kind of politics. Mm-hmm. My perspective, though, is that institutions matter. That the, um, that the way that the question is presented, the shape of the institution, how it perceives itself as being involved in answering the question in front of it and making decisions, that these have influence, that these impact how, how things go. I think part of this I may get, I don't know if I've told you my, my, this, this basic theory I've got about um, like the Calabrese and Posner schools of law and economics. But um, let, me just say, let, me, let me just say this. I think go that for it. I'm not going to do it right now. I, I can't do it justice and it would be unfair. But, um, but, but I think one of the things that I love about Guido is this inherent optimism that he has, this, this faith in human nature, but, but not a naive faith. It's that if people could just be put in the right situation, the right context, they would make good and rational decisions. Like there's just that, that law is about helping people to get into the right configurations to make the right decisions. This is a sort of collaborative versus there's sort of a, um, to essentialize for a moment, yeah, go you ahead. could say some, some, some. There's a personality type, and you're you're attributing, you're putting Guido in this in this group. Um, there's sort of a personality type that is, you know, optimistic, mm-hmm. and and looks at um, a, the wealth of collaborative opportunities and cooperative opportunities, right? And then there's the more pessimistic, sort of the person who's who's trying not to be made a chump, right? Basically, that's kind of like their outlook on stuff. Yeah. Not, hey, we're, here, where's, uh, I'm on the lookout for ways we can, we can help each other be in a better position. Either one of us could be in alone. Right. Instead, it's, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I don't get one pulled over on me here. Right. Because I, because being a chump <laughs> is about the worst thing that could be. Right. Right. And I do, and I feel like, um, you know, there's two kinds of people in the world, the people who believe everything I just said and the people who don't. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, these, I think these personality types, we probably all know people who, who we might roughly put in these, two, in these two groups. And I think your outlook in that sense can have a big influence on the way you think, where you think the opportunities are or the dangers are. In a way, we're sort of redoing the, the, the Robin West piece. That it, they're, they're, we really are, yeah. Know, there's some the, – these sort of connectedness, that's the main – that's like the, the – the, that's the foundation and then you worry about falling from it or yeah. or um, peace and solitude, that's the main thing. And you worry about having uh, people all intruding up it. in your business, right? Yeah, I, I was thinking that um, – that one way of looking at it is that you either are going to like I, I think you're you're lost totally if you don't realize that people act self-interestedly sometimes, right? Of course. So, so of course people do. The question is whether in designing a legal system, you design it in such a way to make that self-interest disappear into the background to the extent that you can and to get people to be in the position where they are taking others into account or working around people who just won't do that. Mm-hmm. Or whether you're going to design a legal system to ride that self-interest like a horse. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think there's, there's wisdom in both of those viewpoints. And, you know, it's not like one is ever to the exclusion of the other. I've, I've, I've really, you know, traced out antipodes here that are, that are stereotypical rather than real. But part of what I'm trying to do in, in this research and in current research is to think more, try to think more deeply about um, 
what what kinds of configurations of human beings should decide what kinds of questions? You know, when are they good at deciding those things? Mm-hmm. When is it that we, how can we induce them into the right decision-making framework? How can we recognize when they're likely to be making decisions that are going to screw the rest of us up, right? Right. I, I And you can have, yeah. you can have some insights like, um, you know, if, if it, that we might all be prone to uh, be better at figuring out what advantages us than at appreciating what advantages others. Mm-hmm. So we might think uh, that, in, in a sense, it's important to have people involved in any decision that that bears significantly on them. Right. Right. Because they're going to be able to tell us what their interests are. Right. Um, and so you you know you can you can take these institutional insights and try to Matt as your paper does right and try to lay out some insights about what people are good at under what circumstances and mm-hmm. see if that doesn't give us some guidance about how to configure what sort of decisions get made in what context yeah and that that's what the institutional calculus is trying to do right yeah. and I, interestingly um you know we talked to Daniel Hemmel the other week who was the editor at the journal when I was publishing the original version of this. And one of the things that they had trouble with was the law and economics frame. They thought there was too much of a law and economics frame in that original public-private paper that I did, um, which I th- found interesting, of course, right? Because it's not, it's different than that, don't you? I mean, do, do you, when you read what I wrote, did you think of it as kind of, well, this is just kind of a law and econ perspective on how to run institutions? Or did you think I was too captive to that? No, um, it, it, it's. Uh... And and you're right that there are different sort of flavors of that um, of economic analysis of law or law and economics, yeah. and that, and that um, it doesn't it's not at all a, it doesn't at all have a flavor of the of, of a sort of a Posner antitrust analysis of something mm-hmm. or a Chicago school antitrust analysis of something where it's heavily about markets mm-hmm. um, explicitly. Right. about markets or, or conceiving of things that aren't markets as if they were. Right. Um, uh, it was about uh, interest and incentive and uh, and uh, knowledge, self-knowledge, other knowledge. Uh, and those things are important. But that if, if that means it's economics, then everything is economics. Well, because <laughs> it's hard to talk about. Right human beings in their institutions without talking about things like, what are they good at? What are they bad at? What do they know? What do they not know? Well, it's like the conversation that I posted earlier with Guido, the one with the bad audio quality, but uh, that economics is a language that can, if you understand its terms broadly enough, describe everything. It doesn't mean that it is everything, but it is a way of describing everything that we see. Economics is. But that requires you to use words like cost and benefit and utility. And in here, I talk about competency and advantage and preferences. These have to be very broad mm-hmm. in order to capture the full range of, of what it means to be a human but being. The words you just said, it seems to me only advantage is, the, is a, like competency. I don't understand how that's economic more well, than it is anything Well, of course, else. in my calculus, I'm talking about competency at assessing the preferences of others. Ah, okay. Well, or at... at and so preference aggregating those into a you know, social is preference. preference economic i mean i guess you could think of it that way it is it is of um, the language it is of the language that the critics of course criticize that that it, it 
it, it makes it sound as though those preferences are, and I always get this backwards, is it endogenous or exogenous? Well, see, that's quite... Right? Like these are, and, and I'm but, certainly but a believer that, in the fact that, that society and law can change our preferences. Of course, I don't think the, that but are, I resist yeah. the notion that just mentioning preference is taking a position on endogeneity versus exogeneity. That's crazy. Well, I'm glad that you agree with me about this, but yeah. I mean, that, yeah. because it's just not, that's an entirely separate topic of discussion. Yeah. Where do they, where do they, what is the genesis of, of one's preferences? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does the choice set affect the way you have you know express a preference over that range of choices right um so i don't understand why you'd want to collapse all that into one word preference i do use that language though and the, and the language is a way of evaluating whether we'd want a public or private institution to do this that or the other right, right? and among those institutions are they good at doing this that or the other and therefore when we write down rules that govern such institutions whether for private institutions there are rules about offer and acceptance and unconscionability or for public institutions, they're about um, eligibility to be a legislator or a judge or whatever it is. We want to take account of those where we think they're likely to fail and what kind of competency we want to insist on. Are they likely to know what other people want? Uh, Are they going to speak for other people? Are they not going to speak for other people? Do they only have to know their preferences to do a good job or do they have to know other, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are, of course, dimensions that you don't talk about uh i don't I, I think in this paper or the or the other papers i don't recall you in, and there's no reason why you would uh engage a lot on things like um speed of of output mm-hmm. um but but where you were talking about uh trying to get to a decisional process that that produced the speediest decision possible and you could tolerate some loss in accuracy Right. right. Um, you might care a great deal about how many people are involved. Yeah, that's in, interesting. Yeah. In the making of that decision, whereas here, it's that's not really speed. Is not the sort of it's not captured in my calculus. Well, it's I'm not a dimension to, that matters here. Right? It, it would so, be more resource. You know, I do have that kind of catch-all of re, do they have the resources to affect the decision, which means making an effective decision. Mm-hmm. So it could be captured there. I was trying to capture the universe, and I have an argument in the other paper about why these are the, the basically the inputs into a social welfare function. And therefore, the kinds of things you would want to control. But, you know, there's, boy, there are, there are a lot of uh, things you would desire in a, in a functioning in- institution. They're hard to specify in advance. Right. Yeah. What did you think? I, so what, what did you think of the overall development of the thing? Did, were you, did, I, did I convince you that there was something to this public-private distinction? Where, after reading Duncan Kennedy, and I know you said you, you didn't recall reading this specific piece before. Yeah, I don't before. think I had read it before. I'm not sure. I just don't remember. Because um, I obviously had a lot of work to do, to, not only to say that it was a distinction worth paying attention to, but that it was fundamental, um, ir- inextricably bound to cooperation itself. Right. And definitive of our most basic categories. I mean, that's a, those are strong claims, right? They are. And, I, and I'm, because I've read your other work, um, my reaction to this piece is sort of, hard to disentangle cleanly from the things I think by virtue of having read ad- additional pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I know, I know have, I've referred to this framework in my own mind many times since first encountering it, which suggests to me that in my own thinking, it's uh, been useful. So by that measure, um, yes, I'm persuaded because I, because I have returned to it as a series of thoughts in my own thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's great. We um, learn we learn from each other. We do. Um, I think that um, w- what and, and this may be 
sort of tied to the the nature of of the crit project itself, right? Um, <laughs> does the word cooperation or collaboration appear in in his piece? It's just a he's coming from at it from a very different set of concerns. Right. From, from from the perspective of we have been born into a society with patterns of domination and hierarchy. Right. Like that's where we are now. It's and not the, And the it, neoliberal sort of self-conception is if, uh, a sort of a, a rotting corpse right. uh, that doesn't quite know it's dead yet. And he's sort of in the process of engaging in that. It's sort of a like a Baudelaire almost. <laughs> um, uh, and and. That's just a very different thing to be thinking about and and to be focused on. And, and in fact, the the opposite of that analysis is what they're really railing against, right? The the way that I start this piece with cooperation, you know, it, it has that air of like the Lockean beginning. Let's imagine a state of nature where there's nothing, and then you kind of build it up, right? right? And in a way, the the Crit Project sees that as the beginning of an error. Right, uh, an error in that it fails to understand the way society is structured. There's a revolution going on, right? Or there's a revolution to be had because there is a there's a dominant hierarchy, and it is fooling us all into thinking that it exists for reasons, and those reasons aren't really reasons at all. And to start from, you know, like Locke does, everyone owns their own body and they own the right. labor from their body. All, all yeah, this, right? See, and so for me to start, every you know, first yeah. there are people operating independently on the landscape, and then they cooperate when they cooperate. There's law because law is the conceptual side of cooperation. That's the way I talk about it in the new paper. But that's yeah. basically what I'm saying here too. And the and the uh, and so it could be it could be dissed as um, yeah you you kind of you you fell for the endogeneity of preferences trope right from the get go right right uh, and boy what uh, what a misguided sort of project right because um, if you're not right about that at the outset you're you're not going to be right about much much of anything else right um, yeah I mean I get I, I I'm my mind doesn't work to that course, so I don't. Um, that's it, it, not could, how I react. You could criticize it as a naive beginning, I guess, is what I'm saying, right? That it it doesn't appreciate the practical problems that face the dominated person in our society, right? Because it it builds up law as an inevitable thing springing from certain propositions, when in fact, like you know, I'm a former mathematician. I know that the, these are not rigorous steps that go between each. Um, each joint in this construction, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it's the kind of project that can make a structure, a, a, a structure which could be otherwise seem inevitable. And that, that has the further sin of kind of reifying yeah, the, this I mean, hierarchy. Yeah, that would be I'm, the criticism or yes, a criticism of the method, if not the result in this case. It could be. I, I don't, um, I'll let someone who wants to make it, make it. Um, I'm not, that, I'm <laughs> I'm not trying, that person. I, I uh, thought I, you'd be a good devil's advocate for me, Joe. <laughs> or at least the crits advocate. Yeah, no, that's not you, because you invited I'm, the wrong guy. I'm kind of critty. Um, you you are you are a little critty, but you're but you can't you can't get you're you're not nitty gritty critty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because you're not because you, you're not a pessimist. Uh, Fundamentally, you're not. Uh, you, you nor am so. I. Um, and mm. and I think there's there. Um, I, I think the, the there's a certain alignment. Uh, as we were talking about before, uh, there's there's a sort of alignment dispositionally uh, in terms of what legal theory uh, perspectives are the most generative and interesting to one, um, and uh, and the sort of you know 
are you are you more of a of a, of a Tigger type or more of an Eeyore type? <laughs> uh, and you and I are Tiggers. And, That's funny because I was not. And Duncan ch- Kennedy's <laughs> a bit of an Eeyore, honestly. I've never met the guy. I bet he's not. I bet he's a Tigger. In terms of his writing, no, but and it's funny because but the it's very so playful. Th- the piece is so playful, though. It right? is, and the very th- and in a way, the very project of writing is is very Tigger. Right. Mm-hmm. If you really were Eeyore, could you bear to even bring pen to paper? Could you bear to even <laughs> could you bear to even touch the keyboard? It would all yeah. seem so pointless. Yeah. You know? Well, when I'm trying to do that, I do feel a little bit of Eeyore. So there's something about scholarship. Feel tremendous that amounts of self loathing. Scholarship is it is inherently Tigger. Yeah, I guess that's right. In a way, you do have to cast off. Um, and this is there's a kind of hopefulness about yeah. even communicating something even very sort of um, pessimistic. A kind of carefreeness. Yeah, but I would say more than just being free of care, being feeling something p- positive about something, mm-hmm. maybe your own future, somebody else's future. Well, but but that might be just maybe just your self-expression. Let's get rid of all this junk. It's time, you know, what we need is a political revolution. Wake up, people. This is not the, you know, whatever, what they call the law is really just a kind of theater. Yeah. And so there's a kind of tigger attitude in that right that like let's cast off the chains and have some fun and trash stuff <laughs> i mean he trashing he was a bit chaotic trashing is a huge part of the crit movement. so what's the opposite is the opposite of law uh s- solitude and solitariness or is the opposite of law chaos hmm that's a good so I well okay so let's talk about so yeah. your paper makes hmm. me think the answer is the opposite of law is solitariness well and, I would and, and parallel yeah. solo action um and not chaos but I think a lot of us a lot of the time think of the opposite of law as being chaos what is what is the opposite of driving what is the opposite of eating I don't know well it seems like a weird question right. I, I it didn't feel weird when I was asking it. No, no, no. What I'm asking, what is oh. eating, or or what is what's well, the opposite it, of recording a podcast? Well, maybe the opposite of driving. It, it, so is the opposite of driving motionlessness, or is it walking? Right? Is the opposite of eating um, fasting or um, drinking instead of solids? It's liquids, right? So there or being force fed or being right. Ooh, yeah, being you, uh, being on a hunger strike you, and being force fed. I, I raise that because I think of. I think of law, again, as the conceptual side of cooperation. It's the way we think about our cooperation. And so it can fail to exist because it, it, it will fail to exist if and only if there is no co- actual cooperation. And it's cooperation in the context where defection is possible. Yes. Right? Right. So, so you wouldn't call it law and cooperation in a context where joint action was, of, was the only physical possibility for the system. Where there was right because law is about, no, law is about decisions. Law is about decisions. Actually, in the in the new piece, I, I I mentioned the possibility that there is law among groups of animals. Other non-human animals have law uh, because there are decisions. Because they have who, choice sets. Because they have choice sets, etc. But, but where instinctive un, instinctive movements, like you know, fish which turn which turn left because their nearest neighbor turns left, and they have an instinct to do that. That that looks like coordinated movement, but it's not cooperation in the same way because it's not about filtering choices through decision-making entities and mm-hmm. having models of other people's decisions, right? Right. So a couple of ways that you can fail to cooperate. One is, of course, you can be solitary on the landscape. Maybe you see someone over the hills, but they have no influence on anything that you do, right? Um, another way that you can fail to cooperate is 
what you just said, chaos. There are a lot of people around, but nobody is doing anything in response to what anybody else is doing, except maybe, you know, killing one another or, you know, there's no, there is no joint project in any conceivable sense. So I see both ways as, as being the absence of law. And mm. I don't know what it means to say there's the opposite, which is why I say like with recording a podcast or eating. Do like, you like presence or absence better than opposite? Right. Yeah. What is the opposite of Joe? Because in that a way, be show title if this in, in a way, Duncan Kennedy is saying, you know, we start with opposites. Yeah. Right? We start with distinctions of opposites. Public and private are the opposite right. of each other. Right. Um, state and, and, uh, and individual are the opposite of each other. Right. The social and the private uh, or the political yeah, really, and the yeah, private are the yeah. opposite of each other. So there's these oppositions that he's setting up that go through these six stages of sort of senescence. And, and of course, he's ta- yes. And he's talking about the uh, public and private as an opposite in a very vague sense. And, it, and it's the very vagueness which allows him to annihilate it. Very right? open texture. Yeah. Sense. I don't and, think it's and, vague, but I think it's well, open texture. If, um, a lot. There's a. There are many things that are. There are many references right. for each I, of the terms. It's it's vague and ambiguous, as I criticize it in another place. It's ambiguous because the word private has different senses as and as well as having a different me- measure of extent. Um, but I, I would say that um, that you know, in my paper, public is the name that you give to the cooperating group. It is the public, right? And so mm-hmm. some some institution which is public is on behalf of that group. Its decisions are made with that group in mind. A decision is private when it is made for, uh, potentially for self-interested reasons, right? It looks inward at an entity which is smaller than the group and is has no obligation. It's not connected with the larger group. Now those, see the way I think of them, they're not so much opposites, right? And And you could criticize that as, well, I'm not really covering the field of possible institutions, but I'm trying to capture something that I think describes the majority of our decision-making institutions within legal systems. Mm. And of course, I want to do this in a way that is very broad because I see law everywhere, right? I'm I'm very careful in this piece to point out that law and a public go together and you could identify publics at various scales. Mm -hmm. So for example, a family is a public, right? It has, uh, it makes decision, it cooperates together. Mm -hmm. It has a law, even if it's not written down. Right. Uh, It's not always clear who uh, who manages that coercion or not, or how it works, but right. there is law there because there's cooperation. It may be an exceedingly, di- this is like back when, uh, uh, when, when we were discussing Hart in the class and, and Hart acknowledges that the ultimate rule of recognition could be a very complicated thing, which is nowhere written, but in fact it exists, mm-hmm. right? Because it is practiced, right? right? So too, all of the law in a public could be very difficult to pin down. And yet we know it is there because there is cooperation. And it could be evolving according to very strange secondary rules. But you see this at the uh, international level. You see it at, you know, there's obviously state law, state governments. There are private organizations. There are churches. There are, you know, all of these things are cooperating groups, which themselves are publics and they have their own law. But there, we are, exist. there are two people who together make a podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So... I want everyone out there to know I'm constantly feeling the lash. <laughs> he is the dictator. The, well, our law is the conceptual side of our cooperation, right? And it could be uh, we could some some entities do write these things down. That's true. Some do not. Maybe we should. No, we, I like we have a more British perspective. We, 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 said, we, we can, rely on unwritten law. 
Well, this shows we the, have an unwritten constitution. This shows the two natures of, of contract, right? That if we wrote a contract between us, it could be for the purpose both of establishing rules amongst ourselves for our cooperation, right? But also possibly establishing threats to go to the larger public in which we are embedded um, to get support. The only thing I insist that we do, if we ever do write down an agreement, uh, is that we record the session in which we write it down. Oh boy, I think that will be hilarious. We, we're going to need a third party for that. <laughs> That would be uh, that. We should get my wife Meredith in here to do that. Oh boy, she could. I would I, like that. I think I'd come out pretty I well. Think, yeah, I think. She, I think you, she'd she side would with unfairly side with you. That's yeah. right. She'd side That's with absolutely me a lot. right. And I'm pretty good at engineering that. Now, I what? To. So, but I, we have a couple more minutes. Oh, okay. Uh, what did you think about this idea that law is everywhere? I, I want to keep on that for a second because it is an important part of the theory, right? That that this that what we that our social lives are all about traveling through a, a, an almost impossibly rich world of two by two boxes, mm. <laughs> right? Where these, some of these two, two, some of these two by two boxes are filled with things that you say, oh yeah, those are laws. And others of them, you say, I don't even recognize those as a law, but you know what? We're cooperating. There is something there, right? And the two by two box is less distinct and more, you know, almost if, as if you put it through one of those soft gel filters that they used to <laughs> Right. to do for uh, glamour shots, I right? I guess that's the way in which it's, it is sort of um, in, in, in the law and econ vein is mm-hmm. that it is an attempt to universalize something. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it, it does apply the word law to a great many things that people would not dream of calling that. Right. Uh, and, in that, and that, depending on your point of view about such things, uh, that could make it. That could make it a weakness mm-hmm. that it uses language in a highly unconventional sense, mm-hmm. and I just mean that literally. Right? Yeah. It takes the word "law" and applies it to things that, by convention, we normally do not refer to that way. Right. Uh, now, is that done in the service of something? Is it is it worthy of the trouble to use language in that unconventional way? Well, the the, you know, the proof of it is in the tasting. You have to see how do things turn out? Do I understand things better? Do I have, is it generative of sufficiently uh, interesting and sufficiently numerous ideas that help mm-hmm. me accomplish what I want to accomplish? Uh, well, then it's worth it. Um, but you have to f- figure that out. You have to find that out. I want to say why I did that, though. Um, because uh, a lot of jurisprudence, especially more modern jurisprudence, some of which we've not read in this class, seems obsessed with distinguishing things that are law from things that are not law. Yeah. Right? Um, e- even in um, Shapiro's excellent legality, like there's a section right. on, like, why is it that like homeowners associations, why are these things like, why are their rules like not law mm-hmm. or not legal and, and or, or just and part of the legal system? this goes back to Hart Fuller, law yeah. and morality and what, you know, with law is not morality and morality is not law and the, and getting that, that the, this, this uh, effort to say, I'm talking about law, and that's also going to help me enumerate all these things as not law. Yeah. Um, yeah, it and that's like a, a and that's real part of the purpose, right? The part of the purpose is interrogating the concept of law in order to, like, in order to say what we all know, like that the rules of the state of Georgia and the United States, these things are laws, and um, the, the, the rule about taking off your hat when you go into church that Hart uses in the concept of law, like the, the manners and these other things, these right. are not laws. And so, but they're both rules. And so how can, how can one thing be law and the other not law? I need to think harder about what the concept of law really is. Yeah. And so part of my work here and in the new thing is to say, you're looking in the wrong place. 
in order to get that internal satisfaction. They are both law in concept, right? They are both about cooperations. They are both about, and in the new thing, mental models of that cooperation uh, um, that, and, and the law captures the conceptual side of what you're, what you're modeling. But when you think intuitively what's, of what's different about, say, the state of Georgia and its laws, and, you know, maybe your, your family's house or your church or wherever, and it's like rules of manners and etiquette, right? What's, what's different about those things? It's the, it's the cooperation itself. It's the cooperative group itself that you're distinguishing. Like one of them, the, the sense in which I feel morally obligated to comply with the rules of etiquette that I perceive to be governing the cooperation here in, my, in this church or this other, uh, or, or a school, right? Um, that obligation I have to follow those rules is totally bound up with, and, uh, with the distinctive domain of normativity around that thing. This is the thing that Hershevitz, if you recall, in the end of jurisprudence denies, right? That law has a special, you know, domain of, uh, of normativity. But I think that our attitudes toward what we call the law are totally bound up with our attitudes toward the cooperation itself. Like it's the morality, how is the, how are, how are, you know, where does my moral obligation to follow the law come from? It comes from the moral obligation I feel to participate and not defect from that overall cooperation, Mm -hmm. right? And so the overall point is you're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking to the concept itself, the logic of it, the arrangement of it in order to say, oh, these are the law things and these are not the law things. Instead, when we say, no, but why is, why is this Georgia thing and the United States thing, why are these different than, say, this church thing or this uh, gang thing or whatever else I'm involved in? And I think it has to do with your attitude toward that cooperation. It is, it is more imperial. It is something that you have uh, maybe bigger sanctions and that you agree with. It seems inevitable because, you know, we've got other countries that we're either competing with or not. I mean, you can think of all kinds of reasons why we might think of those domains of cooperation differently than other domains of cooperation and a superior hierarchically superior mm. but those things are just attitudes right they're just attitudes toward that cooperation itself and that's what's seeping into our minds and saying no it's got to be different yeah and I, th- I think this is again the way in which to me in this conversation i really feel like i'm having an insight about the the your take it really is in the in the law and econ part of the Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. because in, in the way that, that, that sort of take on the world, it really does universalize economics as the, as the language and set of tools Mm -hmm. to talk about everything, Mm -hmm. law included, Mm -hmm. right? That you think the legal system is something different. It isn't. It's just incentives. No, I'm not saying it's incentives. I'm, I'm, I know you're not I'm saying I'm using the language it. of morality. Let me finish. Yeah, okay. That it's, I was talking about the law. <laughs> you're going to have e- the last word on I this I was anyway. talking about the law and econ people. I wasn't yeah. talking about you. Okay. I'm saying they're universalizing. It's all about me, Joe. This to, <laughs> 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 hmm, no idea. Uh, the, <laughs> the, it, it, ta- it universalizes this the, with this set of, this particular repertoire of tools and moves, right? Mm-hmm. And you are trying to do something very I think you're trying to do something quite similar. I am. It is a different set of tools and moves. Right. But it is a universalizing law is everywhere, right? And they're saying economics is everywhere. What you have in common is a sentence that word ends with the word everywhere, right? You're universalizing something. Let me just take one more crack at it. As opposed to the, 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 some of these other jurisprudential debates that are wrapped up with and might even seem to be hung up with like, I'm trying to 
confine and differentiate. Yeah. I, I'm saying that the, that the thing you associate with the concept is everywhere. And so to the extent that your experience with the laws of the state, you know, suing people, statutes, that whole realm is distinctive and you say, no, we should have an idea about why that's not everywhere. What I'm saying is that that is basically attitudinal and right. based on emotions. Because what is everywhere morality. is social cooperation and deploying exactly. coercion in, in the effort to serve cooperation. Right. Implicit and explicit. Which is in all of it. Implicit and explicit rules and threats. Right. All that's everywhere. Yep. And so the claim is that resort to those things and that language to distinguish law from other realms of social cooperation, that that's doomed to fail. Yeah, it's not going to work. Right. That's my claim. And so it's, it's not so much universalizing as in there's only, you know, is a theory of everything. There's one way to understand our human experience. I'm not saying that, right? What I'm saying is instead that the distinctiveness lies elsewhere than buried inside of this, the usual conceptual tools. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That got big fast. But, uh, <laughs> Maybe that's why I have this nosebleed. Thank you so much for doing this with me because hey, I would not want to talk, you know, I'm not, not? Do a, I'm not going to do a solo podcast about my own work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, your brain might actually collapse on itself if you tried to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and this this is good. This is this is just about how long I wanted to talk. So, oh, cool. So thank you guys uh, for uh, paying attention to us. And the next time you said they're going to listen to another, this is another conversation that you and I had with a third person. Yeah, Greg. But this is this is um, this isn't really you and me. This is old you and me, and they're right. different people. Yeah, because the past people. is a foreign country. Yeah, younger. I, I would say more handsome, um, but also less wise. Definitely more spry. Yeah, less wise for sure. Definitely more spry. Oh yeah, boy. I just we just got up and ran around between the comments we made when I remember. That's how I remember. Yeah, that I'm, I'm gonna session. I'm gonna I'm gonna time capsule this thing and just say I turned 44 just the other day. Mm. Mm. Shame what she used to be, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's end it there. Bye. Bye.